0: you're listening to the sagas and sass podcast this episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast welcome to sagas and sass season four brought to you by geek entertainment I'm Tara, along with fellow hosts Nick and Jonathan, and we're also joined by one of our regular guest hosts, Seth.
1: This episode will cover Reaper, part four of Red Rising, the first installment in Pierce Brown's Red Rising saga. Please note that there is a chance you will hear some spoilers for other books because some of us can't keep our mouths shut (laughs) during our live webcast. However, any possible spoilers will be edited out of the podcast versions
2: of these episodes. If you're watching live, join us in the chat or after the fact, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at and sagasandsass, or email us at sagasandsass at gmail.com to continue the conversation. Additionally, please note that the views expressed in the show are those of the hosts themselves as individuals and do not necessarily represent the show as a whole.
0: And don't forget that we now have a Patreon. With 10 tiers ranging from $1 a month to $40 a month, it offers tons of ways to support us and receive some great perks in return. You can check it out at patreon.com slash underscore entertainment. Now, before we dive into our summary and discussion, I wanted to make a note that we are making some changes to our usual layout. While I'm not fond of changing things up mid-series, let alone mid-book, in order to ensure that we don't miss covering all the important parts of this amazing series, from here on out, we'll be splitting each episode into two or more sections. Each section will feature its own summary and discussion of a set of chapters in the part or parts of the book we are covering in the episode. And so now, we'll kick off this new layout with chapters 34 through 36 of Red Rising Part 4.
1: As we kick off part four of Red Rising, while clearly a lot of people have died, and will probably continue to die in this book, though not the same people, we aren't surprised that this is in fact not Darrow's time yet. He is saved by none other than Mustang, and they hide in the north woods as Darrow recovers, taking down wolf packs and discussing strategy, as you know, most teenagers are wont to do. Well, in this world at least. Unfortunately, Mustang becomes ill to the point where Darrow is afraid she is going to die, one day, he goes out to hunt and is met by Fitchner, who not so begrudgingly reveals that the Proctors are helping the student named the Jackal, who happens to be the son of the Arch Governor of Mars, Wind. Darrow is understandably angry and presses Fitchner for more information, finding out that the drafters and other important golds can watch
3: the students at just about any time thanks to a, the biometric nanocams installed in their house rings. There's a lot to unpack there, because when we say anytime, we mean... Any time. But the really important part that is, is that if the students remove their rings, the only cameras then trained on them are the ones on the battlefield. So stay tuned, because that becomes important later. For now, though, Darrow starts forming a plan, because he knows that if a house is destroyed, their proctor has to leave Olympus. He demands antibiotics for Mustang and also receives a package of his own, a gift from a friend that comes in the form of his Pegasus necklace containing Eo's hamanthus blossom.
0: So Darrow Mustang lay a trap for some of the Oathbreakers, students who were enslaved and ran away from their slavers, and use Mustang's standard to free them. They soon gather a small group of soldiers and lay yet another trap, this time for House Mars, that allows them to free a group of their slaves, including the ever-lovable Pax O Andromedus! and wily snarky Tactus. But they're not just there to lay traps and free slates. Darrow also sneaks into Mars' castle with the help of a Minervan girl who is stationed on their walls, because he wants to remind his house who he is. The best of them all. Someone who can go where he pleases and do what he pleases. Which in this case means carving his sling blade into every door of the keep and the huge table in the war room. Not that he stops there. He also carves a skull into Cassius's chair and stabs a knife into its back, all while his soldiers light fire to brush stacked in the shape of a sling blade on a nearby hillside.
2: Next up is House Ceres. Because if Darrow has an army, he needs to feed them. But while they are able to take this castle, trouble soon brews in the shape of, Colorus, not shocked, Tactus, who attempts to sexually assault one of the girls from House Ceres, claiming that he's owed his spoils of war. Darrow knows he can't do, well, nothing, because the series students are calling for punishment, but he also knows that if he meets it out, he will piss off the House Diana students. Darrow whips Tactus, but then he shocks everyone by sentencing himself to the same punishment because he must own their evils with them. And luckily for him, the play works.
0: So going back to the beginning of part four, when we find out that Darrow is in fact still alive. <laughs> Shocking. Shock. <laughs> um, Only viewpoint character? He wakes up to, of all things, Mustang singing EO's song. And he thinks, if ever I have felt there was a God, it is now as I listen to the mournful chords. My wife is dead, but something of hers lingers still. It's very sweet. And he asked Mustang where she heard it, and Mustang says, a little girl sang it. And this is really interesting to me because they're all the same age, give or take a year. There might be a slight difference, right? But Mustang was probably about the same age as EO when this happened, you know, when she saw it on the HC. So is she little to Mustang because she's, like, red and therefore small, or... Was she meaning little as in diminutive or little as in I think this was a child? Because girl was a full pregnant married teenager.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, she wasn't showing. But I tend to think that maybe like she saw a kid of a different color, maybe, Mm -hmm. singing it. Just thinking about the age difference and whatnot. Do we have it like an exact time frame for when they were using the technology to make Darrow better, faster, stronger?
0: I believe it took... In terms of like time length, yeah, it yeah. was like a year or so because yeah, yeah. Darrow was about sixteen. He was about sixteen. Yeah, I remember when that. So, he died, yeah. quote unquote, and at the institute, at one point, he says it's his 18th birthday. Okay, so or it's... he thinks it's his 18th birthday. Okay, yeah,
3: so it could have been like maybe about a year, year and a half. Yeah, because yeah.
0: it's also vague on how long it took him to take the institute test when the board of quality control came and bugged him about it. There was like a good period of time, a month or two between that and when he finally gets noticed that everything's legit. So, yeah, it was it was a couple of years. But I mean, the fact of the matter is all the kids that are at the Institute are kind of supposed to be about the same age.
3: So. Yeah, but yeah. I guess that period of him being out of the picture, so to speak, would be long enough for EO's song to filter up to the point where a child could have sung it in front of Mustang.
0: True, true. But still, I mean, two years, like, when you're 18, do you think a 16-year-old is a child? I don't, no, don't uh, think mean, I'm, <laughs> He's I very small.
3: Just, yeah, I mean, I'm just going with actual child of another color. That's where I'm planting yeah. my flag.
0: To be honest, it's not important, per se. But, I mean, what is important is that Mustang has seen it and that it stuck with her. And... I don't know how much of it she really saw, if she watched the whole thing over and over again and memorized it. Because later, Darrow says to her, sometimes I forget that the Institute is meant to teach me things. And Mustang's response is like, how we must live for more. She keeps bringing this back around, obviously not knowing what she's doing exactly. But without her reminders of this during this time... And her willingness to work with Darrow to create something better than what the original general plan is for kids who are at the Institute. Things could have, would have gone a lot differently.
3: Well, Mustang, honestly, is virtually unique among gold. She has gotten to the point where she's looked around and she's realized that this is, this is not great. And that something needs to change. And... That was sort of the way I sort I, I saw her running House Minerva. But she is still, I, I would say, too much a part of gold culture to really understand what needs to be done. She's trying to make it better, but she's a reformer. She's not a revolutionary.
1: I wouldn't say revolutionary. I, I thought of her as more self-aware than the other golds. Of, I wouldn't say self-aware is probably not the right word more worldly than the other goals. She was more curious about the rest of society and,
3: and most of the other goals were lacking oh, yeah. that curiosity.
1: Because I'm not even sure I would call her a reformer yet.
3: I don't think we're there yet. She wants to be. There's something. It's why EO's song earwormed her, I think. It touched something in her that wants to see things change. It's interesting to me because, you know, the goals hold themselves up as being the pinnacle of society and to be crude, if I can be a little crude and do some swears, basically, if you put a gold, especially one that styles him, her, or themselves an iron gold in front of another person, their response is almost always fight it or fuck it. They operate on some really basic levels.
0: I think, I think a think lot of them do, but not not all of them. No, obviously. not all
3: of them. Not all of them, but a lot, of, especially the ones who, are, who I, I feel... The ones who are most proud of being Iron Golds and boast about being Iron Golds mm-hmm. and say how important bloodline. I think the, the group we're seeing of Golds is not a complete picture. I will allow, of course, that at this point they are in the Hunger Games Battle Royale, Lord of the Flies, take your pick. And they've been there for months. So at this point, they all have some serious trauma and a lot of PTSD is happening that nobody's dealing with. So yes, I agree that we are not seeing them at their best.
0: Well, it's very important that Darrow ends up with Mustang at this period when he's at his lowest at the Institute because without ending up with her specifically and without her having experienced that earworm of EO's song and the ideas that I think it helped put in her head. Not that it was entirely EO's song, but it for sure has spurred Mustang to think a little bit differently or else she wouldn't be singing the song and quoting the Live For More bit because EO also says that when she's on the scaffold. But when they go into a discussion about the game itself, after going back and forth with Mustang about this, Daryl realized that to win, he needs an army, but if it's made of slaves, it's not going to work. And he'll need this at the head of the rebellion as well. He needs followers, not slaves, because man cannot be freed by the same injustice that enslaved it. And all of the conversations between the two of them and everything that happens when they trap the oath breakers, but then free them from their slavery and have their own little wolf cloak army. Taking that page out of Severo's book, Severo who himself was an outsider until Darrow brought him into his inner circle because he realized he could trust Severo, that Severo had that loyalty that he needed. And he's seeing that from Mustang as well. But of course, Severo's just an angry little goblin and Mustang is more on the political side of things. And I don't know if it was his idea or her idea, but then comes the chapters of holy symbolism reaper man, because they've created this little army of students who were made slaves and then deserted. They all have their wolf cloaks. They lay that trap for House Mars. They free a whole bunch more slaves. Darrow sneaks into the Mars castle and carves a sling blade everywhere. And he specifically says, too, that he set the brush on fire in the shape of a sling blade on the hillside because he knows that if Severo is still around, he's going to see it and he's going to find him. It goes from Darrow just trying to be the conqueror that he was in Part 3 to being Somebody who knows he has to build before he can tear down.
3: Yeah. And he's also sort of consciously making himself a symbol. And I'm sorry, I'm going to sure do love them French fried potatoes. Okay, good. I'm done. Everybody remembers Sling Blade? It was a movie in the 90s. (laughs) All right. But also, okay, I just have a question about that. And I had a question when I read it too. I'm like, how many doors are there that he's going to go carve? A sling blade into every single one of them. It's not the first or last time I'm going to ask how extra is Darrow in this moment. Not that big
1: a castle.
3: <laughs> yeah, but it's it's still a it's castle. Still they got
1: doors, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been to in small castle that have maybe five doors, six doors. I mean, I guess they're more keeps than castles, but.
0: Well, and two, there's not like a bunch of different bedrooms either. In the beginning, like when they first enter the main castle, it's said that there's like a dormitory basically with just kind of mattresses on the floor. So no matter how big it is, there might not be that many doors. But I mean, yes, I agree. He probably could and should have just carved his sling blade into the table and done the thing with Cassius's chair and left it at that. But yes, Darrow is extra.
3: You know what it honestly reminds me of? The graffiti scene from Life of Brian where oh, he, wow. he is painting he's painting uh romans go home except he does it wrong so a centurion comes by and is like that's not how you that's not how you say that at all now go write it 200 times until you get it right <laughs> so he paints it 200 times over this wall it reminded me a little bit of that i agree with
2: seth i think it was very extra
3: um i i have to say though that if i'm understanding what a sling blade is correctly if you're Going to use something as a symbol of an army, especially if you're doing what Darrow's doing, you could definitely choose worse symbols than a scythe.
0: Yes, yes, that is true. Well, and plus, it means a lot to him personally for yeah. obvious reasons, but everybody else just thinks it's a scythe because that's the weapon that he quote-unquote happened to pick up in his and Cassius's very first fight together. Nick, do you want to read the quote about how Darrow's going to run his army? Sure.
2: Mastering my anger, I tell the members of my army that they will never be slaves in this game again, so long as they wear my wolf skin. If they don't like that notion, they can clear out. No one does, but that's expected. They want to win. But to follow my orders, to understand that I don't think I'm some high and mighty emperor, their proud hearts need to feel valued. So I make sure they know they are. I pay each student a specific compliment, one they remember forever. Even when I am ruining their society at the vanguard of a billion screaming reds, they will tell their children that Darrow of Mars once clapped them on the shoulder and paid them a compliment.
0: That's a little bit high and mighty of him, honestly. He's
3: getting ahead of himself a bit, I think. (laughs) Look, they were
2: really good compliments, you guys. You just didn't hear them.
3: (laughs) All right. Yeah. I mean, I I guess they would have had to be.
0: Literally right after Darrow's going on about how awesome he's being and how years down the line when he is... Picking their society apart bit by bit, they're all still going to be proud of the fact that they knew him like, okay, dude, I don't know how to feel about that. But again, unfortunately for him, almost immediately after he has this thought, as he's complimenting these people who helped him take house series, Tactus decides to test him. And it's a bad situation because Daryl really doesn't know what to do at first. As the summary said, House Ceres rightfully are angry and wants Tactus punished. But if Darrow does punish him, the House Diana people are going to be pissed, particularly because they kind of just earned their freedom by helping him take this castle. And Mustang explains to Darrow that Tactus is from this family that goes back and back and back. And he is his family. He's not going to change. He's not going to learn. But Darrow feels the opposite because he is a red acting like a gold. And he feels like he knows people can change. And that's apparently when he comes up with the idea to denounce Tactus's actions and whip him, but then in turn demand that he himself be whipped as well and goes into like, this is how punishment is going to go in the future because if you do something wrong, you have to own your evil and i have to own it with you because you're part of my army and it's one of those things where it was a good choice on his part i'm still a little surprised it worked as well as it did (laughs) well
3: that is the kind of thing i think and i mean obviously it's a book and darrow has to achieve some things in order to get this stuff going but that is the kind of thing where i think the people in the courtyard are like is that crazy son of a bitch gonna get whipped he's he's taking the punishment because he's a, and that is the kind of thing that is i think it's gonna shock you a little bit it's gonna it's gonna scare you a little bit and i think it is right there is gonna be this seat of real admiration for what this crazy bastard is doing i
2: also want to talk for a second about how at first he has tactus whip him but then he's like nah yeah no. you're not doing it hard enough <laughs> that's that's not i right. need packs to fucking whip me
3: yeah.
0: And then later, Pax literally cries about yeah, it. He's, yeah, he's so upset about it. Pax Poor
3: yeah. <laughs> I am convinced that Pax is actually Ajax the Greater, it's the it. Iliad. Yeah. I am convinced that he's Telemonian Ajax.
0: He's so great. He really yeah. is. Yeah. I love everything about him. I love
3: all <laughs> his battle cries, just shouting his name. Yes. Yeah. Just challenging everybody on the field.
0: I mean, and also at the end of the whipping, Darrow tells everybody, You don't follow me because I'm the strongest. Pax is the strongest. You don't yeah. follow me because I'm the smartest, well, brightest, Weird. really, but Mustang is the brightest. Yes, she
3: definitely is.
0: He says, You follow me because you don't know where you're going, and I do. Really? Like, yeah, because you're the leader of the army. So <laughs> they kind of have to hope you know where you're all going. But this situation ends kind of positively. And now we can move on to chapters 36 through 39.
2: So now that Darrow has his army, he decides it's time for him to fulfill his promise to Fitchner and go find and take down House Apollo as their proctor is apparently the ringleader of the cheating. They move south through the Institute and eventually meet up with some House Apollo students, where Darrow has his army make themselves look as pathetic as possible in hopes of tricking the other house into letting their guard down. But while his army roves and bonds, the proctors continue causing trouble, first by setting their horses loose and then spoiling their food. To top it all off, just as Darrow trusting his friends, particularly Mustang, with some of the intel he got from Fitchner. Proctor Apollo uses this attachment to lure him away from camp and into a trap with a giant carved bear. Thankfully for Darrow, though, someone else laid their own trap, catching the bear and saving him in the process, because that's right, folks, Severo's back! <laughs> Granted, he's sport and missing an eye, but back nevertheless. And he has his howlers with him, because loyal pack that they are... When they were told that the jackal had captured Darrow, they all just straight up abandoned Mars' castle to go searching for him.
0: Now, Darrow knows there are plans to make, plans that he doesn't want the proctors to hear, but he also knows that if he tells the other students what's what, he risks everything. So as they sit around their fire, he suggests that they remove their house rings and talk not as students from different houses, but as friends. Step one of their plan is to split the army into units, integrating all the members of different houses together, and then they begin harrowing House Apollo. And then one night, when they finally convince Severo to reveal what he learned while he hunted the jackal in the mountains, namely that in order to avoid being enslaved during a battle with House Vulcan, the jackal collapsed the tunnel House Pluto was hiding in, killing a whole bunch of students and stranding himself and the remaining members of his house in the dark where they had plenty of water but no food, at least not until they started eating people.
1: Suddenly, their fireside story is interrupted as the proctors have descended and surrounded them with a jam field. Proctor Apollo reveals himself and hands them a jug of wine, which Severo promptly guzzles as the proctor tells them they really should all return home. Severo wanders off to take a piss while Apollo continues to pick them apart, claiming that if Dara wins at the Institute, it doesn't actually mean anything for the rest of them. Of course, Darrow and his army tell Apollo to stick it where the sun don't shine, which angers the proctor, who needs a proctologist apparently, <laughs> but not as much as what it affects, because it turns out the whole thing was a diversion to allow Severo, Tactus, and some of the others to attack Apollo's castle without interference from the proctors. Prime planning, my good man.
3: Without the Proctors being around to cheat on behalf of House Apollo, Darrow and his army win the day, but Fitchner soon pops in to reveal that Proctor Apollo has not, in fact, left Olympus and to try to talk Darrow down from his need to win at, like, the whole entire Institute thing, partly because Fitchner is worried about his son's safety. Because, oh yeah, by the way, Severo is Fitchner's son! Seriously, how did none of us or Darrow see the writing on that wall? But Fitchner isn't done yet because he continues to insist it's not just about Severo that Darrow is overstepping and walking right into a trap, but not one set by the Proctors of the Jackal. One set by Mustang? This is where Fitchner goes too far, though, because while Darrow does promise to take care of Severo, he then knocks Fitchner unconscious.
0: So the Proctor's causing trouble for his army. Darrow says he's looking at it as a test because when the real rebellion begins, things like this will happen and how should he react and he wants to breathe the anger out, breathe it out and move easier said than done for him, by the way. But before they actually confront Proctor Apollo, I want to ask the horses I get. I get how they came down and sliced the ropes, right? That's a simple prank to pull. How the hell did they get weevils into the bread less than overnight? I, Nobody was watching their food stores. How did this happen so quickly?
3: They had some carved weevils and they were in one of they were using some of their technology that they have to do things and just sort of introduce the extremely fast weevils into the bread. I don't know.
0: They hired a carver to create some weevils over the course of like a week.
3: <laughs> Look, this this society is practically at the level of technology is like, do you want something done? Great, good, it's done, it's finished. The only thing they seem to not have is faster than light travel.
0: At times, particularly at this point, I just had the thought, this is more like Harry Potter. Like somebody waved a wand and there were weevils in the bread. It happened that fast. I'm not saying I need it explained away by their technology yeah but it's also like this is the first time when I read this book originally but even more so on rereads where I think uh okay how did they do that that way so fast
3: I mean I will say that in this analogy uh, I think that makes Fitchner Dumbledore which tickles me
0: (laughs) although a much more crass Dumbledore yes they do arrange to confront proctor apollo when it first happens i think we're supposed to believe that it's happening by chance but of course of course it's plans and plots within plans and plots in this book and they straight up accuse him of cheating on behalf of the Jackal threaten him with what will happen if the drafters and the other parents find out. I love the Darrow being angry about nepotism because he thought he could just walk in here. And if he was the best, not that he wouldn't have hurdles to step over, but if he was the best of the best, he wouldn't have too much trouble winning, but now they've got other students dying in this rigged game and Proctor's getting paid to ruin what is supposed to be a meritocratic system because it's not the best shall rise, it's the best connected. Proctor Apollo does not like being accused of this. How much editing are they doing in the background?
3: Whoever has their finger on the edit button is just holding it down. It's like Nixon. There's an 18 minute gap (laughs) in the recording. Nobody knows what's happening.
0: Well, Um, they do use jam fields. And I know that that keeps like, things from being heard outside of their conversation. So they're having this fireside chat and then all of a sudden in the midst of it, pop, everything goes silent for like 20 minutes while they argue with the proctor. So even if somebody isn't deleting that empty recording and I'm sure the drafters and everybody else knows there's some things that happen that the proctors hold back from them with these jam fields and everything. But does this happen a lot in every institute game or is it just this one
3: i would have to say that there is no doubt in my mind that there are at least as many rigged years as non-rigged years it's a thing where some of those people just aren't going to want their kids to die call me crazy but that might be a feeling that a few of these parents have i'm sure that there's one drafter he's probably about my age he's probably around 45 or so he's been there for 20 years and he's like, oh, another, another, another one of these, uh, another one of these gaps. All right, I'm just gonna, just gonna edit it out. Uh, put in some, uh, some, some of them horses. Some of them horses just uh, galloping over the plains. People like that kind of thing. And like that's, <laughs> that's what's going on. I'm, I, I'm sure.
0: Darrow, after they confront the Proctor and his army is all up in arms about the cheating and everything he knows that they have this sort of like fanaticism for him but he's constantly thinking about it's good that he's thinking about how this will change when he's replacing these golds with reds and is at the head of the rebellion but man dude every five minutes seems like a lot (laughs) Every time something major happens, Dara was like, oh, no, they're going to all hate me so much when I have to tell everybody that I'm actually a red.
3: <laughs> I don't think that it's it's that unusual for that to be on his mind a lot right now. He's still new ish to being a gold. And this is like...
0: there's a lot of teenage things. <laughs> maybe. This is
3: this is the first and most social interaction that Darrow has said like one of his first social interactions with a gold was killing him. Right. He he still at this point has a big chip on his shoulder about what he has to prove, which says to me that he's still, and you know, rightfully so because he is one feeling like an imposter. I'm just saying in his position, this would be on my mind a lot too.
1: I mean, I don't understand why
0: he's so worried about it now. Why would
1: he even have to tell them?
3: I mean, he doesn't have to tell them now, but he knows he's going to have to do it eventually.
0: Really, it's because he's caring. He cares about them, too. Yeah. As much as he sees some of the way they look at him, treat him, whatever, as fanaticism, I think he also is at that age and in a place where he is kind of desperate to be loved.
3: Yeah, and this is also the first time he's been around this many people of his age, isn't it? Like, as a red, yeah, most everybody was, yeah. Like Tara was saying, he's made friends with a lot of them, right? Something he thought he could never do with a gold, and now he's like, oh, I'm going to... Have to tell all these people who are currently fanatically following me or perhaps worshiping me in some weird kind of a way, and some of whom are also my friends, that I am not what they thought. I am, in fact, a red. In gold's clothing
0: it also doesn't help that he's constantly like eyeing mustang just oh she's she's limping and she's got twigs in her hair and bags at her eyes but she's beautiful <laughs> i mean
3: uh, you know i mean look he's he's got a crush he's 18 and he's got a crush and that's like i remember that age i remember what it was like having a crush you're like oh this is a thing now in fact this is my only thing okay great all right this is my life fine good
0: then Daryl figures out that Fitchner is Severo's dad. So Nick, I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you and Seth specifically what you guys were thinking when you read that. Because, I mean, obviously Jonathan and I had read these before, so it wasn't a surprise. And it's easier to see the signs when you're rereading. But were you surprised at that reveal?
2: yes for me
3: yeah i was i i mean it wasn't i'm definitely genre savvy enough to the point that if i'm if i'm reading something i can kind of go all right i see where this is getting set up i would like oh that's oh okay all right that makes sense i guess but it also to me it didn't feel like a big reveal it, feel like, it felt like a, a moderate reveal
2: yeah i would agree with that i think too like when you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, actually that makes a lot of sense. So it was definitely a surprise, but it was one of those surprises where I was like, oh yeah, now that you mention it, of course.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. How else did Severo know so well how to survive?
2: They've kind of got similar
1: demeanors, and
0: yeah, are both also- apparently very ugly
1: <laughs> by the standards of goals, which is yeah. it's like being it's like being ugly in the hundred.
3: <laughs> you're tv ugly
0: yeah you're the ugly one in the cw show
3: (laughs) yeah yeah
1: with severo though um i mean the one thing that did throw me for a loop when i first read it that did somewhat surprise me is if he was Fitchner's son and the game is rigged i would have expected severo to have had a different opponent in the initial institute challenge because remember Uh... he was the one who took out priam it's yeah, well, so supposed to be like the ultimate goal, right?
0: Well, I mean, that's the thing, though. It was rigged because Fitchner, despite being a proctor, he's like the lowest of the low of the proctors, too, just like he kind of is everywhere else at this point. And he can protect his son by teaching him how to survive before the Institute. But he didn't have any sort of control over who they put where. Now maybe things would have been different if it had been like Severo and Cassius or something. I I don't know, but I I mean, I don't think so. Severo is a, he's a- He's a killer. He's a
3: lunatic. Yeah, Yeah. he's
0: a mean little bastard.
3: Uh, And and Severo is, I think above all else, cunning. Mm -hmm. He is going to think of a really, really sneaky way to do something that you probably would not have thought of. So I wouldn't put it past him. Like they get in the room, they get the ultimatum, and before Priam can react, Severo is behind him choking him out or something like that. Or, you know, maybe Fitchner tipped him off. Like, you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to have to kill somebody. He goes into the room knowing that he's going to have to kill somebody and has, like, a second or two extra to react before Priam can do anything.
0: Yeah, we don't know what all Fitchner explained to him prior But I believe that Fishner would have given him as much information as he possibly could without getting himself into trouble or putting Severo into more danger. But yeah, he had no control, particularly as as I said, he's like the lowest of the low, even among the proctors. He had no control over where they put Severo. I mean, really, he had to beg Severo to even be put in his house in the first place. But that said, last but not least, it's time for chapters 40 through 44.
3: After Fitchner's visit, Darrow sits down with Mustang and actually brings up the idea of her betraying him, something she insists she will not do, which is exactly what a betrayer would say. They next plan on storming House Jupiter. And while the Proctors will, of course, know what they're up to, that's OK. Darrow wants them to know. Yet when they arrive at Jupiter's castle, it seems as if those inside will give up without a fight, despite the fact that surely the Proctors would have warned them. But as this book is plots within plots within plots, of course, there's something else going on here. That being that the boy who surrenders to them, Lucian, is actually the jackal. He, He thought he could trick Darrow, but it is in fact Darrow who tricks him, pinning him to the table with a dagger through the hand and explaining that his army was faking their drunkenness and is currently roaming the castle digging out the jackal's followers.
0: So while Darrow is having his little tete-a-tete with the supremely creepy jackal, Pax returns with the news that they have in fact found the jackal's allies. But unfortunately for our heroes, the Proctors are still going to do their best to help the jackal cheat. And this time it comes at the cost of Pax. Distracted by the jackal's willingness to saw off his own hand... And Pax actually offers him the ion blade to finish this sawing off because he just can't stand it. When the Proctors toss a sonic detonator into the room, it gives the Jackal a moment to stab Pax in the neck with his own blade. The Jackal then moves for Darrow, but Pax protects his friend by covering him with his own body. Pour one out for our dear, loyal Pax. I'll tell him Of course, the Jackal escapes, but the Proctors also capture Mustang, and when Apollo shows up to threaten Darrow with harming her, Darrow finally just loses it. And with the help of the grav boots he stole from Fitchner, along with the knife ring that was recently returned to him, straight up murders Proctor Apollo. Goodbye and good riddance.
2: And now there's only one thing for it. It's time for them to storm Olympus. This goes a lot easier than it maybe could or should have, and soon Mustang is free, and Darrow sends her off to fetch the Jackal's standard. And in the game, once and for all. Except when he retrieves Fitchner from Apollo's Castle's dungeons, where, in case it wasn't clear yet, he was stowed after Darrow knocked him unconscious, Fitchner reveals that Mustang is, wait for it, the Jackal's twin sister! This means that now Darrow has to worry about her impending betrayal while also finally going to take back Mars' castle, which turns out to be another easy mark, but with no traps in store this time, and in even better news, he finds Roke alive. But then, when he confronts Cassius, his former friend-turned-attempted murderer, he tells him that they are in a blood feud before stomping out like a big old hypocritical baby like he is.
1: And hey, turns out everything is gonna come up Darrow for the rest of the book. He didn't actually have to worry about Mustang, who soon shows up to dump the captured jackal at his feet, This game doesn't end in the raucous celebrations one would expect, but in quiet reunions of families, except for Darrow whose story is that he doesn't have one anymore. Not to worry, though, the Arch Governor of Mars, the very man who killed EO, and was doing his best to cheat his son's way through the Institute, wants Darrow to be a lancer for his household. And Darrow, knowing this is his most hated and yet most needed option, accepts. I don't consider it murder of Proctor Apollo. I consider it yeah a, a soldier on a battlefield situation
3: i am also going to say this and this is information i will admit that you do not have in book one if you read the book if you listen to the book apparently you do have this information um the reds are apparently uh irish they are descended from irish people so bluntly i feel that darrow killing any gold is an act of self-defense but that's because i have very strong feelings about (laughs) people oppressing the irish
0: or generally just anyone i mean let's be real apollo deserved it
3: also
2: he was literally killing darrow so yeah it's like at worst, it was self-defense
3: if darrow went all say sweetie todd or lady stoneheart i'd kind of be like yeah man you do you you just do what you want to do baby that's okay live your life
0: when he finally meets the jackal yeah and i don't know if he realized it the second quote-unquote lucian came to the gate but it was definitely very quickly darrow for sure already had the plan of like getting his army fake drunk and like I said, plan, plans and plots and plots and plans within each other. Yeah. But Darrow calls the Jackal out for eating people. The Jackal still thinks they're in some sort of negotiation because he doesn't – I think he doesn't see at this point that there is anybody there at the Institute that's really like him. He says, "Like you shouldn't be negotiating with me by dredging up these bad memories. And Tara's like, we aren't negotiating. And the jackal's like, yeah, that's all people ever do. That's what this conversation is. I have something you want, or you have something I want, or both. And Darrow looks at him and in that moment realizes that he's seeing something different. He was reasonable to the point of being... Inhuman. I don't know if before that, like before this moment and before the Proctors come and help Jackal cheat to the point where Pax loses his life, that Daryl was really at that point where he was just gonna take down everybody in his path, even if it meant having to kill them. But man, I don't know. He should have killed the jackal in that moment, that's for right? damn sure. Rather than just kidding. That was
2: the thing that pissed me off the most in this entire book because he's like. Oh, there's no way he'll cut off his hand. That's too important. But he knows that the Jackal straight up ate people. He knows that the Jackal is just fucking cold-blooded. And also, don't fucking monologue at the the, the bad guy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> just yeah, fucking so-
2: kill him. Yeah. Or at least incapacitate him to the point where, like, he can't continue this.
0: When Daryl just gives him the option of cutting off his own hand. After after looking him in the eye and being like this dude is no. inhuman of course he doesn't give a shit about his hand also zero your entire body was recarved do you really think that they can't just put this like put a new yeah, hand on like, him <laughs> yeah uh,
3: there's <laughs> a lot of like it's not really made clear when the bots come to get people but from context clues i'm like okay so in our world they would be fatally wounded. In this world, they're close to being dead, but they're only mostly dead. As long as we can get them up to a hospital in time, we can reconnect that severed aorta. You know, it's like that kind of... that. Level. And we
2: know that all the Proctors are cheating on the behalf of the Jackal. So, like, yeah. the idea that he would not cut his own hand off seems absurd. That rationale that Darrow set has of, like, oh, well, he won't do it, and then that'll somehow prove to everybody that he's not actually iron gold or whatever like that's just so fucking stupid
3: yeah
1: well i mean he was using his red perspective on what is possible to replace right stress of the moment he's thinking like a red as opposed to like a gold who knows oh cutting off my hands no big deal i'll just grow a new one
2: darrow does throughout this book overvalue his hands are you saying Um, the
1: hands are not the most valuable part of you
2: I'm saying that if I were in that position, I would cut off my hand. <laughs> Hopefully I will never be in that position. Yeah. It, it, irrelevant to whether or not I cut off my hand, I will die in that scenario. So I'm hoping oh. that I never end up there.
3: Oh, geez. I, I don't even get to the Institute, man. I'm in that room and somebody just, I'm just taking out. Oh right yeah, 100%. I'm really dying in that bit. first
2: yeah. room. For yeah. sure.
0: You're right though. Like that's such a good point. I do agree that there's good chance that him being a red and, Having that idea that you can't just replace things like your hands or literally anything very easily. But yeah, it's a very good point that Darrow, he loves his hands, man. And so does Pierce Brown.
1: Yeah. We could talk all night about Darrow's (laughs)
3: hands. Couldn't we? Well, I mean, I know he wanted to be a hand travel, but, you know. (laughs) Uh, But I I think one of the other things that he might have counted on was just uh, gold pride. That is a big humiliation to be forced to cut off a body part in order to get out of a situation when it's not like, you know, you didn't get your like arm caught in the sliding walls trap and there's a boulder coming at you like that's different than, okay, you were going to do this before I let you leave, right? That's completely admitting that Darrow has control over the situation. Mind you, the jackal does take back control by actually cutting off his hand, but that's another, we've been talking, we've already been talking about that. But I think he's counting on I think he's counting on the fact that I don't think most golds even iron golds in this situation would cut off their hands. I think they would be too proud to mutilate themselves in front of somebody who captured them.
2: You're probably right. And I think the thing that really frustrates me about the logic here is not just that there's like you, you can live if you cut off your own hand. It's that there are no other penalties here he literally says like you cut off your hand you can walk out of here you we won't do anything to you which is the part where i'm like you have in captivity the piece that you need in order to win if you are trying to fulfill the objectives of what darrow was supposedly here for there is no scenario where it makes sense to allow him to leave even if he cuts off his hand and embarrasses himself
3: yeah darrow's two sins are overconfidence i would not i will not go so far as to say hubris even though this is very this is very heavily greek this is so greek i can practically taste the ouzo in the back of my throat uh but um i don't think it's hubris i don't think it's at that level but it's overconfidence and the other one is honestly weirdly believing the best of people darrow wants to believe yeah that if you just show people there's a better way to do things they'll be like oh there is a better way to do things i could leave all this baggage behind now and that's just not the way it works
0: particularly not with the jackal he's psychotic he's a homicidal maniac. yeah
3: but also humans in general don't do that yeah
0: honestly then it's like sure it's the jackal being evil and it's the proctors being cheating assholes but really in the end it's Darrow's stupidity that gets Pax yeah. killed. And
3: yeah, and I like
0: that's that. sad because Pax deserved. That.
3: Yeah, like
0: I, I, I'm like no,
3: I want, I want more Pax. I want, yeah. I want, I want more Pax. Come on, Pax is a good boy.
0: hmm
3: He's a real good boy. He's a real good boy.
0: It's like mm-hmm. a big old fluffy golden retriever.
3: Oh god, he's such a golden retriever.
0: <laughs> he
3: really—he's like a really golden good. retriever pit bull mix
2: because he has—he's yeah. just so fucking muscular. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: <laughs> but he's got the energy of like a golden retriever.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, good old Pax. so sad. And then, like when he dies, despite having read this book, I think this is a fourth or very likely fifth time I've read it. When Darrow is holding his dead body and. He says, he was meant for more. Such a soft heart in such a hard form. It shouldn't have been this way. It is my fault. I should have just ended things quickly. What a future he could have had. And it's like, oh, it is your fault, Darrow. And also, you know, just rip packs. Yeah. Even though there's so mm-hmm. much.
3: I mean, what a teaching moment for Darrow. What a lesson that he is going to learn and take to
0: heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Of course he is.
0: Now, we were talking about the medbots earlier, and it's funny because when Darrow kills Apollo and he and his army go to take Olympus, the proctors realized pretty quickly that they're part of this game that they thought they escaped years ago. I mean, God knows how many years ago. I think all of them or most of them are old enough to have kids Darrow's age. So at least by the way they're described. So it's Mm -hmm. like, they really thought they would never have to see the Institute again. However good or bad their time at it was probably bad. I can't imagine that the Institute was really all that great for any person unless they were a homicidal maniac. But there's no med bots on Olympus because it's its own secret place and darrow fights jupiter he fights mercury who and darrow hated fighting mercury because he was like "Ah, i liked mercury he's kind of jovial and like Mm -hmm. he would have picked me for his house but he just he takes them all he takes them all down because Mm. they're monsters dripping in decadence and they don't see their own hypocrisy
3: honestly that description reminds me of like an evil hedonism bot from futurama yes (laughs) hedonism bot was my absolute favorite because I just could not get over the idea that somebody was like, I need to build a robot for the purpose of being hedonistic. Yep. That's I need this robot to perform that
0: function. In the picture that we get of them, Especially when they're taking Olympus, what they're all they're all like bathing together and mm-hmm. like lounging around with pinks and everything. Mm. It's pure hedonism while they're watching yeah. these kids down there murder each other. Yeah.
3: Somebody rub my body with the most delicious oils and oils creams and creams. Yeah. yeah. While these children murder each other for sport. Another
0: great peel it. So they take they take Olympus. I think they only imprison the rest of the Proctors. I think Apollo is the only one who actually gets I, killed. Yeah,
3: I believe that's correct, yeah.
0: Daryl finds Mustang, of course, has a little kissy-kissy time There's with her. There. Almost seals the deal, but does not. I liked that he wants to hook up with her, like really hook up, but he knows that he's very like rash. And that he can't let whatever his strongest emotion is in this moment rule him because she deserves better. Good on you, Darrow, honestly. Love I, I and war like are two
2: action. different
3: battlefields. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's no. what I would say. Yeah, that's right. I agree to an extent. Mustang was an enthusiastic participant. Mm-hmm. So it's not like she was like, "Oh, maybe this isn't the right place." She was like, "All right, come on, let's what's fuck? let's fuck." Do- yeah, she's, yeah. she's been am... TF for a while. Yeah, yeah. she's like, yeah. "You could have, we could have banged in that cave." What are you talking about? Come on, yeah. I'm, I think she's kind of been wondering, like,
0: yeah. "When's is it he, gonna happen, is dude?" It, is it
3: gonna? Is it? What's dude, do I, I have? Are to, you? Do are I you have to more? <laughs> I trust up my brother for you like a Thanksgiving, <laughs> and dropped him at your feet. I don't know what else I could do with this point. N-
1: naked. I would remind you, yeah. yes.
0: I guess actually, him being naked, it—it's him in his most vulnerable form, and Daryl can yes. see that he's not hiding. They're not hiding anything yeah. on him because I think Mustang, at that point, knows that he knows who she is and who the jackal is to her. So. For her to bring the jackal to him in that most vulnerable form where it's just, here's absolute proof that I am not going to betray you is, you know, I'm guessing that's what she was thinking. Obviously, we don't know. But that was my first thought.
3: One of the things I actually loved about this book was Fitcher being like, you have to watch out for her. She's the jackal's twin sister. She's going to be dangerous. Unless... She doesn't actually like her brother all that much. In which case.
0: I do think Fitchner is worried. Yeah. That Mustang is going to betray Daryl. Because he knows that they're twins. But they don't know the extent to which they were raised apart and everything.
3: Yeah. I mean, he doesn't know their dynamic. And that's fine. It's also, it's a reasonable suspicion given Mm -hmm. everything else that's going on. I will say it. If that were the case and that were Mustang's plan. It's certainly fortuitous that she happened to fall in with the guy who was going to raise the army that was going to win the war. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, oh well, that well, oh, good, good stroke of luck on your part, but and
0: helped him so much along the way. Yeah.
2: And I think that's why I wasn't that surprised. I was more surprised by Severo being Fitchner's son than I was that Mustang didn't betray Darrow because it doesn't make sense to have sided with. Darrow helped him get to the point where he could beat her brother only to then
1: betray him
3: well, kill him in the cave.
1: Yeah. Let me be a devil's advocate. Boo. Um, Boo. I mean, it wasn't necessarily be that she would betray him to the brother but she may have hoped that Darrow would eliminate the brother for her so that she could win.
3: I mean, that's possible. Pit them against each other in a situation where Darrow kills the jackal and Mustang sneaks up on him with the House Minerva standard. And it's like,
0: boop. Like, haha, after all this time. Right there I, on I, your I forehead. Boop. Yeah. You. Yeah. <laughs> Darrow does think when he finds out that she is the jackal's twin, that Mustang is what golds can be mm-hmm. and, or should be. And it's her father and brother are what golds are. And he has to believe that there are good golds because they're the best that humanity can offer. They're also the worst. But if there is no gold like Mustang who is good and who is willing to try for better, then it's going to be a real sucky road for everybody.
3: Yeah. I mean, if, if there are no golds who have the capacity to go, oh, our society is completely sick and needs to not be this way at all, at all. Uh, then yes, it is going to be an uphill fight. Well, more of an uphill fight, I should say.
0: And it's funny that after the fact, so Mustang doesn't betray him, delivers her brother to him and everything. And after the fact, they're at the little reuniting of the families and all that. And Augustus ignores his both of his own children, including Mustang, mm-hmm. who did real well sure. to approach Darrow instead and offer him a position as... A member of his household as a lancer which is like a guard essentially and yeah. at the start anyway it could certainly become more clearly he wants to keep darrow close because of what happened at the institute and he knows darrow knows his dirty secret of helping his son cheat but you know he's like i had one condition though darrow and darrow's like oh you're gonna tell me to stay away from your daughter and augustus is like no no no
2: no fuck go go fuck like come yeah. fuck. yeah
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, like
2: that actually was one of my favorite parts where he was like, "I don't care about that shit. You do whatever you want. I don't care."
0: Yeah, I don't care about blood. I care about strength and power, and you have those. And of course, there's also for sure with Augustus being who he is. There's also that. Oh, well, if my Lancer Darrow, who I'm keeping close so that he doesn't spread the news that I got these people to cheat for my son, is also with my daughter, then I'm keeping her in my circle as well, where otherwise she might be tempted to go off and do her own thing. (coughs) It's control upon control upon control with this guy, for sure.
1: It's a good thing he's so (laughs) likable.
3: I do have the feeling that to him mustang is just a girl like i definitely feel there's some of that on his yeah. part which is very dumb of him because again without i think giving anything away mustang is by far the most capable person
0: you see that so much she might
3: not be as good a warrior as darrow is or as Sepro is or as a bunch of other people are but in terms of like capability yeah she is pretty much omnicompetent.
0: well without her intelligence and influence this would yeah. have turned out totally differently it anyway. would have turned
3: out completely differently yeah
0: it was that time in the cave between the two of them where she didn't just save his life she also taught him a lot yeah. that led to them creating the army yeah. the way they created it and led to them winning the whole thing i really believe Daryl was right back at the very beginning of part four when he said if I just create an army of slaves, I'm not going to win this. It was the loyalty and the devotion that their plan, his and Mustang's together plan created that led to them winning in the end.
3: Yeah. Yep. I also just want to point out, I, I think that if, if, let's say, the Institute is college.
0: <laughs>
3: okay. I, okay. And Darrow did what he did. I'm going to go a little bit further with this analogy and say that the Institute is law school <laughs> and mm-hmm. Darrow does what he does. Wouldn't you think pretty much all of the top firms are going to be like that guy?
1: We're all doing that
3: guy. Yeah.
0: yeah. He goes with Augustus because he sees He's, it as like the summary said, um, his most hated, but also most necessary option, mm-hmm. even though Lorne, oh, Arcos oh, is standing right. there off of the side and Darrow doesn't know, know him, but he knows that he is like, one of the greatest golds of their age and you know there's that part of darrow that's like i know i could go with him and it would probably be great but i gotta stick with augustus gotta go with
3: this gotta go with my my enemy over here well i mean look if i had the chance to to learn more about somebody's house in order to eventually undermine and overthrow them i would definitely pick the guy i hated the most (laughs) that's just (laughs) logic.
0: it make for a miserable time, but yeah, agreed. It is the smartest play. I mean, for once, Darrow is being a little bit political, I guess.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, that is not one of his strong suits.
0: (laughs) And it's why he needs Mustang. It's why he needed Mustang this whole time.
3: Like, it's weird because he definitely understands, definitely understands loyalty and team building and creating a cohesive unit. Not so much politics, not so much give and take and compromise and game theory and stuff
0: well as we close out the episode we just want to give a shout out to our heroes to your patron tommy of the tkok podcast network thank you so much for supporting us once again i'm tara along with fellow hosts nick and jonathan and regular guest host seth don't forget that you can always hit us up at sagas and sass on facebook instagram or twitter or email us at sagas and sass at gmail.com with any comments or thoughts you might have. And thank you for joining us for Sagas and Sass. We'll be back Wednesday, November 2nd to cover part one of Golden Sun. Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.